Okay, grab your Bible this morning and uh, open it to Genesis 37, or maybe you're on your device. We're going to scroll around a lot today, so that'll be fine. It might be better to have it electronically today, but uh, you, you'll get to know some things. It'll be fun. We're in our series called The Ups and Downs of Trusting God, and we're learning some life lessons from the life of Joseph. And this morning, I want to talk about something really important, really important that Joseph teaches us, and that's to trust in God when people let you down. Have you ever had someone let you down? In fact, as I say that, right, have you ever let someone down? There's probably an event or a person or a moment that you're thinking about right now in your mind. And that person or that event, that moment, it, it probably hurt didn't feel good, wasn't very nice or kind or loving, but this moment in your life, somebody let you down. Maybe it was your boss, promised you a promotion, and when the promotion came, they gave it to someone else. Or maybe it was a friend who promised to take you to a concert, and when that time came, they took someone else. Or maybe you're in the room and you've experienced a divorce, and so you know a lot what it means to have someone let you down. Or maybe some of you are Seahawks fans and you know what it's like to be let down a lot over and over and over and over again. Seriously. Have you noticed that when the people that are closest to you let you down, it hurts the most? It just cuts like a knife, doesn't it? It just hurts and you feel like you got to grab this knife out of your back because it's just stuck there and somebody's been turning it. Well, we're in this series and we're talking about the ups and downs of trusting God. And it's just true that in life, there are ups and downs. And sometimes those downs are when somebody lets you down. We know that it's inevitable. We know it's an inevitable fact that people are going to let us down. But for some reason, it doesn't make it any easier when it happens, does it? It's part of life. We know that. We, we know that people are going to be selfish. We know that people are sometimes not going to choose me. We know that it's inevitable that we're going to be left out of the group at some point in our life, but it doesn't hurt any less when it happens. And so it's inevitable that someone's going to let us down. In fact, while we live on this earth, we have to come to the conclusion that no one person will be able to fulfill everything that we need. No human can love us unselfishly all the time or be there 24 hours a day or supply everything our soul needs. Only God can do this. Only God has the ability to love us deeply, accept us totally, and restore our hurting heart to a point of healing. See, only God can consistently breathe life and meaning into our relationship on a regular basis. We can't expect another person to do this, yet we do anyway, because we desire that. There's something deep within us that just desires that, that we together, humanity, mankind, would figure out how to be loving instead of selfish. Now, what we're gonna see this morning is this is what Joseph learned. In fact, it's one of the major things in his life that he had to learn or else he'd have been in a really bad place spiritually and mentally. 
He had to learn to put his faith in God when people let him down. See, Joseph knew the ups and downs of trusting God because his life was full of people letting him down. In fact, grab your Bible with me and look at just a couple moments in his life where people let him down. The first one is very early on in his life. He's 17. And in Genesis chapter 37, verse 10 and 11, as Joseph shares this dream that God has given him, this very vivid, powerful, prophetic dream that God has given Joseph, he goes to share it with his family, with those that are closest to him. And I'm sure that his hope is that this would be an encouraging moment for him. And when he shares his dream, verse 10 says, when he told his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept it in mind. See, when he shared his dreams with his family, they didn't encourage him. His father rebukes him. His brothers were jealous of him. Now, if it had just stopped at jealousy with his brothers, he probably would have been happy. Like, that's great. I, I, can, I can choose jealousy. But the next moment in Joseph's life we come to remember is what? That his brothers want to kill him. And instead of killing him, they sell him into slavery. So his brothers let him down again. In Genesis 37, 28, it says, the Midianite merchants came by. His brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. We all know that brothers are gonna fight with each other, right? How many of you are, have a, had a brother and you fought, right? That's just natural. I had a brother. I was the older brother and, and we fought all the time. Like I, I remember my parents went through wooden spoons for spankings like regularly. I think they had stock in wooden spoons because my brother and I, especially at church, I don't know, there was something about it. Uh, I don't know mom's in the room. She's over there laughing and shaking her head because she's just remembering those moments. For some reason, my brother and I could just never get it together in church. There was just something about we always were fighting in church and then we were getting spankings afterwards. But... Um, Brothers make fun of each other. I mean, we pull pranks on each other. We wrestle, we fight. We don't include each other in things. Uh, we, we treat one another with a low grade of disdain. And there's just this kind of, you know, animosity that's just kind of resident there. But you're never really thinking, my brothers are going to sell me into slavery. Like, it never goes that far. You're never thinking, oh, yeah, they're going to sell me as a slave. Like, it doesn't ever, that probably was not a thought that passed Joseph's mind. But here he is in this moment, and his family, his blood, his brothers have seriously let him down. I can't imagine what Joseph was thinking on his way to Egypt. I can't imagine the depression that was trying to set in, the anger that was probably trying to take hold of his life. And it's in that moment that I believe Joseph probably had to do some work with God and start the process of forgiveness. 
Later, Joseph ends up in Egypt. We remember the story because we've been talking about it the past couple weeks. Joseph, Joseph ends up in the house of Potiphar, who's a very influential person. But Joseph has this encounter with Potiphar's wife where she wants to have sex with him, but he refuses. And then she lies to her husband Potiphar about it, and he's considered guilty when he was innocent. In Genesis 39, it says, when his master heard the story of his wife, that his wife told him saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Now, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that Joseph was not expecting great treatment as a slave in Egypt. We can be pretty confident that that was not what he was thinking on his way there. But God had blessed Joseph. He'd blessed Joseph so much that he became the person in charge of everything in Potiphar's house. And the Bible says that everything that Potter owned, Potiphar owned, everything that he had became blessed and prospered as a result of Joseph's blessing on his life that God had given him. So I think maybe what Joseph might have thought at least was maybe I've, I've earned enough respect that Potiphar would hear my side of the story, but he didn't. And so he's right back in a position where he's been wronged, where someone has let him down, and now he's in prison. And Joseph went from one confinement to another, from a hole in the ground that his brothers put him in to solitary confinement in a prison that Potiphar put him in. Now, there's something interesting that transpires with Potiphar because generally, if a slave has treated a wife or, or a family member inappropriately, they would have been executed. That's normally the case. You would have immediately been executed without question. But God spares him. And maybe even Potiphar is thinking, I don't know how trustworthy my wife is. <laughs> And so this will be my way of just, just, um, just kind of taking care of the story and smooching it over. And so Joseph is put in prison instead of death. Now, I've often thought later in Joseph's life, in the middle of the famine, when Potiphar's head servant is coming to ask for grain, what Joseph must have answered. Have you ever thought that? Like we don't have that in the story. We have the situation of his brothers, but I've often wondered how would Joseph have handled the situation with Potiphar and his wife? Would it have gone something like this? Because he would have known Potiphar's new head servant and he comes and he asks for grain and he says, oh, I'm sorry, I have, I, I, I have a request. Could, could you ask Potiphar and his wife to... Come meet me before they get grain. And as Potiphar's wife and Potiphar and his wife come into his presence and they bow down, wouldn't it be kind of cool to just see Joseph go, hello, Potiphar, it's great to see you. Sorry things didn't work out with us, but your wife's got something to tell you before I give you some grain. <laughs> ah! <laughs> I, I hope that happened. Then Joseph was let down by the cupbearer. 
The next person to let Joseph down is a cupbearer to Pharaoh. And you'll remember, this is a pretty interesting situation where the cupbearer and the baker are in jail with Potiphar. They both have spectacular dreams. And God gives the interpretation of their dreams. But then the cupbearer just lets Joseph down. In Genesis 40, verse 20 to 23, it says, Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but he impaled the chief baker, just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph he forgot him. So with the help of God, Joseph interprets a cupbearer's dream and he's restored to his position. You think there'd be a little gratitude, but he forgets him. Now there's a theme. Have you seen a theme in Joseph's life? People keep letting him down over and over and over again. There's a theme here. See, at this point in Joseph's life, everyone in his life from his family, to his friends, to his acquaintances, have all let him down. Yet somehow, he's discovered how to keep his trust in God intact. See, God had a plan, and it was much more spectacular than just getting Joseph out of prison. I think there's several lessons that we can learn from Joseph during his ups and downs. And these lessons apply to us as well. The first lesson that we can learn during our ups and downs is that God is faithful. One of the things that you will notice as you read the story of Joseph from beginning to end, you'll notice two really big things happening in his life. One, people are letting him down. And two, God is always faithful to him. Those two things are happening all the time. When he's sold as a slave in Egypt, he doesn't end up in anyone's house. He ends up in a very influential, very powerful house that probably has everything that he needs to be taken care of, even as a slave. Everything Joseph touches seems to be blessed by God because God is being faithful to Joseph. See, when everyone else has let him down, God has not let him down. When those who were supposed to love him hurt him, God was there in the middle of his pain and his struggle, and God is faithful to him all of his life, and it's a great reminder to us that God will be faithful to us in the middle of our crazy as well. But look at a couple verses with me. The first one is in Genesis 39, 2 to 6. It says, the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in the eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. In this moment where Joseph heads to Egypt as a slave, God is faithful to him. 
He's faithful in a big way because everything that is going on in his life is being blessed and is prospering. The same thing happens when he's sent to prison. In Genesis 39, it says about verse 20, but while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Now, there's a key thing here that, we're, that we need to catch over and over again, that God is being faithful to Joseph, but there's also this phrase, the Lord was with him. When people were letting him down, the Lord was with him. And I want you to know something very important this morning as well. When people let you down, the Lord is with you. He's right there with you. And when you feel like you can't trust anyone, you can trust God. You can trust him. You can trust that he will always be with you. He'll never leave you or forsake you. He will be faithful to you. And then later in Joseph's life, Joseph received the faithfulness of God as he interpreted the dreams of Pharaoh and became second in command of all of Egypt. And you can find that in Genesis 41. See, Joseph's story is extraordinary because God is faithful to him over and over and over again. And because God has done this sovereign work, what God is really doing is he's rescuing not just Joseph, but his entire family. And he's setting the Israelite people up for a radical deliverance that would happen later from Egypt, 400 years later through Moses. All of this is part of God's plan and part of God's uh, just miraculous way that he works. Now, God may not move in your life in, in a spectacular way like he did with Joseph. But what we can see is that God is always faithful to us in our ups and our downs. In the middle of our crazy lives, God is there and he is faithful. The second lesson I think Joseph teaches us in our ups and downs is don't blame God when people let you down. Don't blame God when people let you down. I happen to believe that this is kind of a big topic. It, it's something that you and I as believers in Christ need to understand at a very, very deep level of our soul. Because one of the things I constantly hear from people in their suffering and in their, pers in their perseverance and in their struggle and in their trial is, why is God doing this to me? See, I believe that there's something that you and I need to be able to separate in our heart and in our mind, in our theology, and in our spiritual walk, and that is who to blame. <laughs> not that we should actually be running around blaming everyone. That's not the point. But often, in the middle of tough times, we blame God instead of who's really responsible. And sometimes there's nobody responsible at all, but we still find somebody to blame, don't we? Here's my point. One of the big spiritual and mental battles that you and I will always fight is the lies of the enemy. And one of the biggest lies of the enemy 
is to get us to blame God for everything. In fact, one of the things whenever you, I, I, I share my faith or you share my faith and we start to have a conversation with God, inevitably this topic will come up, won't it? Well, you know, God did this in the world and there's a blame about God. And what the enemy does in people's mind and in our minds, if we're not careful, is he will get us to blame God when bad things happen to us. He wants us to doubt God when accidents happen. Satan wants us to question God's character and authority when a natural consequence of living in a sinful world happens. And so we'll often ask, why did God allow that to happen? Or why didn't God stop that from happening? Or, or why doesn't God stop all the evil in our world? Why doesn't God just stop all the evil in our world? Sometimes it's hard to wrap our head around, but did you actually know that God actually has? He has. It's called the cross. Did you know the cross has the power to defeat all of the evil in the world? All of it. If we would choose to do that. But we don't, do we? Humanity does not choose the cross. Humanity chose, chooses their own way. Chooses selfishness. See, the cross actually has all of the benefits and all of the healing that we need to stop evil in ourselves and to stop evil that we would perpetuate towards someone else. The cross actually has the ability to do that. Now, I hope he's done that in your life, right? Because you're a Christian and because you're following Jesus, you've chosen to stop the evil in your own life. You're turning from sin and you're living in righteousness and you're choosing to treat others around you with the kindness of Christ instead of the meanness of your selfishness, right? I hope you've done that. I hope that's your new life in Christ because that is possible for those of us that believe in Christ. But here's the challenge. The cross can stop the evil in the world, but the challenge is it happens one person at a time. One person at a time. The other challenge is God's not going to violate man's free will. In other words, he's not going to force man to stop being evil if they want to be. That's part of free will. Therefore, the evil that we see is mankind choosing to deny the power of the cross and choose the evil they hear from Satan in their minds and their spirits. It's the choice to blame God and not live for him. Let me give you an example of this on a grand stage. After the 9-11 attacks, um, the oldest daughter of Billy Graham was interviewed on TV and she was posed this question by the interviewer. And it's a blame question. The question was, where was God, with a very agitated tone, where was God during the 9-11 attacks? And this was her answer. You, you mean the God that we've kicked out of our schools? The God we told our country not to pray to? 
You mean the God whose Ten Commandments you want to take out of our federal buildings and all of our public places? Do you mean that is the God you wanted to rescue you? And then second, she said, God didn't fly the planes into the building. Radical Islamic terrorists did. See, this is a good example on a, on a grand scheme of things where the first thing that the interviewer wanted to do was what? Blame God. I want to blame God for every bad thing that happens. And that's exactly what the enemy of our soul does. In the middle of our challenging times of life, when people let us down, the enemy wants to come in quickly and get us to think that God will let us down because people let us down. And that's not the way God works. He doesn't let us down no matter what. No matter what. He's not letting you down. He's never leaving you or forsaking you. And so what we have to understand is we have to say, I'm not going to listen to the enemy's lies. Like what would have happened if Joseph spent his time blaming God for what happened? He would have ended up in this downward spiral that would have been very difficult for him to pull out of. But Joseph knew who the guilty party was. His brothers. His brothers are the guilty party. God's not the guilty party in my story. My brothers are the guilty party in this story. Potiphar's wife. I'm hoping to see her one day when I have to give her grain again. She's the guilty party. But here's what's interesting. I want you to notice something. This is a very Christ-like moment. Even though the brothers were guilty, what did God ask Joseph to do? Forgive. Even though all the blame could be given to the brothers, God still asks Joseph to forgive. Now that's tough. That's hard. Because when we know who's guilty and we know who to blame, it becomes really easy for us to become very negative and angry about that person, isn't it? We become very bitter towards that person. And we, we feel justified inside that our anger and our bitterness and our negativity and our gossip about that person is all justified because of what they did to me. And God would say, no, that's not my expectation for you. My expectation is that you would learn to forgive. That you would learn to let the bitterness out of your life and focus on me. See, God wants us to forgive, but Satan wants us to be bitter and seek revenge. God's faithfulness to Joseph helped pulled Joseph out of what could have been a very destructive spiral. People will let you down. God won't. One of the keys to not blaming God when people let us down is recognizing the little ways that God is faithful in the middle of the crazy. And that's what Joseph had. He had these little moments where God was continuing to be faithful to him in the middle of his crazy in the middle of being torn from his family, having his brothers hate him, being sold as a slave, God blesses everything Joseph touches. And so I want to encourage you, when you're in the middle of one of your crazy times of life, will you begin to notice the faithfulness of God in the middle of that? Will you notice the little ways and the big ways that God is being faithful to you during the ups and downs? 
Now, the third lesson Joseph can teach us about ups and downs is that the ups and downs are part of God's plan for our life. Now, this is something that Scripture teaches over and over again. And have you ever noticed that there are certain things in the Bible that are encouraging and certain things in the Bible that you just wish you could do without? This is one of them. Like that the ups and downs are part of God's plan for our life. See, the story of Joseph is a reminder that ups and downs are a part of God's plan for our life. Why? Number one, because the ups and downs are purposeful. They have a purpose. Now, I'm not going to spend a ton of time here because my message next week is going to be all about the purpose of the ups and downs. But we need to notice that everything that happens in Joseph's life had a purpose to get him to the exact place that was needed so that his spiritual gift could impact Pharaoh, change a nation and a region and his family. You have to notice that. It's undeniable that this was the plan of God Every single step of the way, the ups, God blessing me with purpose, the down, being in jail right next to a person that will eventually be standing right next to Pharaoh in his ear that allows me to become second in charge of the largest nation in the world. That's not an accident. That's on purpose what God is doing. So the ups and the downs have purpose. The ups and the downs are also helpful for spiritual growth. Now, we we like to think that spiritual growth will always happen on a mountaintop. That spiritual growth should always happen in a rose garden. But... In that moment, we forget that the roses have thorns. We want all our roses to be thornless, but that's not how it works. There are ups and there are downs, and they are helpful for our spiritual growth. Let me give you a couple examples of this. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, The church in Thessalonica is going through intense persecution. And listen to what Paul says to them. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more. And the love all all of you have for one another is increasing. So let's just point out what's happening here. Faith is growing. Love is increasing. So they must be at a circus. Let's see where they're at. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. Here's what I want you to notice. Faith is growing and love is increasing in the middle of 
persecution, in the middle of trial. In other words, in the down season of their faith. Not the up season, the down season of their faith. In James chapter one, verses two to four, James says this, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. I, I, I think James might have been crazy. I think he might have been a couple French fries short of a Happy Meal. Because he said, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Anybody in the room ever done that? Like, uh, I am so glad I got fired yesterday. Man, am I happy about that. Now, some of you, I do know your problem. That's probably happened. Like, you've had a job where you've probably been, whew, man, I'm glad I got fired. I did not want to quit, but man, I got fired and I am so glad because I cannot stand that place one more second. That may be true, but then when there's no more income, you're kind of like, ah, this isn't going so great. How could James say such a ridiculous thing? Here's why. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And at the end of that section, he says this, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now, James says two really crazy things here about the ups and downs being helpful for spiritual growth. The first thing he says in the first section was, let perseverance finish its work. Let me paraphrase that for you. Stay in your trial. What? Let perseverance finish its work. Don't look for a way out of your tough time right now. That's what James is saying. That's why I'm fairly convinced he was nuts. But listen to what he says. Perseverance must finish its work. And if you try to get out too early of the problem or the situation that you're in, perseverance won't finish its work. In other words, there might be maybe just a small suggestion that you and I might maybe have something in our life that is not completely mature in Christ. Maybe. It's probably more less true for you than for me. I know I have a couple things. And what James is saying is those couple things that you have, Mark, the only way they're really gonna work them things out, themselves out is if I put you in a downtime. Because you're not working on it during the uptime. And I really want you to be mature in this area of your life. And so James says, you have to let perseverance 
finish its work. Don't get out of the problem too soon. Let me give you an example of this. Have you ever fired a piece of pottery? If you fire a piece of pottery, you have to let the heat do its work. You have to let the kiln and the fire get really hot and you have to let that piece of pottery stay in there for a really long time and get really hot and all of the imperfections and all of the cracks and everything will be exposed. If there's a crack, you can throw it away, you can start over, put it back in the fire, but it must be left in there long enough that it cooks properly. And then once you take it out of the kiln, it's all ready to go, right? No, then you take it out of the kiln and you set it on the shelf for a while. Stay up there for a while too, do nothing. Just hang out, wait. Don't try to go nowhere or do nothing, just sit there. Because it's got to harden properly. And if any point during that process, you mess the process up or you try to get out of it too early, what happens? Piece of pottery becomes useless. That's what James is saying. If you and I, as the people of God, during a down season of our life, try to get out of it, just because it's hard, we won't mature and grow and increase in love the way God wants us to. So in those moments, we just gotta wait it out. Now, I also think there's another typo here. It's the word blessed in verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. I was fairly convinced in the English version that there was a typo, that the word blessed was not there. So I went and looked it up in the Greek. I regret to inform you, it is there. Word is there, the word blessed is there. And so what James is saying is, once again, trials are a blessing. The downtime of your faith is a blessing. Why? Because it makes you trust in God. It gets you to focus on what's important. Specifically, James says, what's really important is that you would receive the crown of life. That you would recognize that your eternal salvation is the most important thing in your life and it must be worked on every season of your life. And so James says, don't try to get out because you'll find a blessing at the end if you do. Now here's what we see. The Bible clearly communicates that the ups and downs in our faith are inevitable. They're purposeful. And they're helpful for the most important thing in our life, spiritual growth. Would you stand with me? One of our biggest trials, one of our biggest struggles comes when people let us down. But I want you to be encouraged that Joseph's story and many other stories and the verses that we shared this morning, they all point to this one fact, that God will not let us down. 
That's why it's important to put our trust in God when people let us down. All throughout life, none of us in this room are immune from people letting us down. And so that's why it's so important that we've been talking this past year to trust God. Because he won't let us down. He's faithful. We have to remember not to blame God in those times of life. And we have to remember that the ups and downs are part of God's plan for our life. These things are all purposeful, all have meaning, all have relevance for our life, and all help us focus on our spiritual life, which is so important to God. And so as we pray, I, I want us to think about this, this big moment in our life where we have to say, God, I really need to trust you in this because this is serious stuff. If I don't learn to get this right with you, I'm always going to have this resident bitterness in my life. Some of you know what I'm talking about right now. You have a resident bitterness in you. And that bitterness is resident because the people that have let you down, you haven't forgiven. You have what I call grenade syndrome. Every time somebody lets you down, you don't forgive, you just get angry. You get mad, you get bitter, and you create a little bomb in your heart. And then somebody comes along and says something you don't like or does something you don't like and that pin gets pulled and you blow up on them. And there's hurt and there's shrapnel everywhere. And that's kind of your life cycle. Because along the way, you haven't learned to get the bitterness out of you. And the way we get the bitterness out of us is, first of all, to receive the forgiveness of Jesus on the cross. And when we, when we begin to understand how much Jesus has forgiven us, it makes it a little bit easier for us to begin to forgive those that have hurt us as well. Would you pray with me? Before we go and have a great time at the park and barbecue together, there might be some of you, you just need the Holy Spirit to do a deep work right now. Because maybe you're in that place that I just described. There's a bitterness that's resident in your soul that just is not, you haven't let Jesus heal it yet. And you need to start that process this morning. You need to acknowledge it. You need to start facing it. And maybe you're in a down season and you are not doing well because you don't see that season as an opportunity for you to grow and to persevere and to become mature and complete in Christ. I just want to ask if, if, you're, if you feel like you're in that place where there's so much bitterness in you that it's affecting you, it's affecting those around you, it's affecting how you treat others, it's affecting your words and your actions, your thinking, it's, it's taken hold of your life and you wanna just be healed of that this morning. You wanna start that healing process and you wanna say this morning, Jesus, would you heal me? Would you help me forgive? And would you help love and faith and trust and compassion and kindness begin to be the way that I live? If that's, if that's where you're at, would you just raise your hand this morning and say, that's me, thank you. 
see those hands raised all around. Anyone else? Thank you. All right, you can put your hands down. I just want to pray for you. Jesus, I just want to pray right now, those that raise their hand. You saw their hand raised, Jesus. Would you break that bitterness in the name of Jesus? That stronghold that the enemy has had in their life, would you break it in the name of Jesus? Would you replace it, Lord Jesus, with love, with grace, with kindness and compassion, with the ability to bear with each other, with acceptance and forgiveness? Would there be a, a, a new work that is done in their life? And, and I want you to know if you raise your hand right now, this is step one. There's going to be more steps along the way that you'll need to submit your life and your thinking to Jesus Christ and to the work of the Holy Spirit. So thank you for being bold to raise your hand. And I want to encourage you to submit that to Jesus every single day until you are healed. Pray in the powerful name of Jesus until you discover I'm a completely new person. That bitterness does not rule over me anymore. Jesus, we thank you and we praise you that even though people let us down, you are faithful. We, we, we just want to say, every one of us in this room, we're not going to blame you anymore, God. We're not going to blame you when people let us down. We're going to trust you. We're going to have faith in you. We're not going to listen to the lies of the enemy in our mind, in our world, in our culture. And Lord Jesus, we're going to recognize the incredible spiritual growth that can happen in our lives through the ups and the downs of our faith. We give you thanks in Jesus for the things that you've done in our lives this morning. Be with us as we go. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, I'm going to dismiss you to head to Centennial Park where we're going to hang out and have some great fun. So grab a side and a chair and I'll meet you there. Remember, Jesus loves you very much. So do Kate and I. Have a great week.